just to uh, let you know, if you don't already know this, that uh, most of our staff have left the Midwinter Conference and the Covenant Denomination Midwinter Conference is an event where pastors from all over the United States and our missionaries from the foreign fields get together for a time of refreshment, of rejuvenation, of education. And uh, so I just want you to be in prayer for our staff. Pastor Mary will be joining the rest of our staff except for me. Uh, I'm here holding it alone, so you can pray for me too. But uh, just grateful for what God has done and giving a provision for them to be able to go and that it might be a very, very beneficial time and season for them as well. So be in prayer. Christ is risen. Baptists we have out there and how many Presbyterians. <clears throat> what do you want us to do? Christ is risen for sure. And in case you're not sure what it is that Christians believe, I want to give you a brief thumbnail sketch. <clears throat> we basically believe that 2,000 years ago, a man named Jesus Christ, who was more than a man, but was the very Son of God, came and visited us on earth. He was spiked to a cross on a Friday and by a consortium of religious leaders who were threatened by his ministry and political leaders who didn't know what to do with him. And it looked a lot like everything was over. That nailed on that cross were all the hopes and the dreams of his followers. We read that the disciples ran and hid we read in the Gospels that only a handful of followers stayed behind to take the body and bury it in a grave. And then we read that there was a Roman contingent, a cohort of Roman soldiers, 32 soldiers, and it was said they could fend off 250 of the enemy quite easily. And this cohort was left to guard this tomb that had had a big stone rolled in front of its entrance and then the seal of the governor put on that rock. And they were to watch this rock, this sealed tomb. Then, a few days later on a Sunday, a few women came to his tomb to finish what they couldn't do on Friday. Because you see, there were Jewish rituals and laws that came to play on the Sabbath, and they couldn't finish the preparation of the body for burial. But, They, they did not find the body when they came to that tomb to do their deed. Instead, the stone had been moved away. The Roman seal had been broken. The tomb was empty. There was no body in the tomb. Nobody in the tomb. Jesus was alive then, and we believe that he is alive today. We celebrate the power and the love of our God shown in His Son, His gift to us. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 11 and following, you can read about it. But basically, the Roman rulers uh, decided, we better start a little rumor mill here going. And it was started by the authorities that a few of the followers of Jesus Christ had come, and they had, if you can just imagine this, overpowered the Roman cohort of 32 men, 
rolled this huge, almost impossible to move stone away from the mouth of the tomb, stole this smelly body, and went on to found a religion that has changed human history for the last 2,000 years. I mean, that's as, well, as preposterous as this. Now may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts, truly be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For Jesus' sake, amen. This morning, we're going to look at a few verses out of the Gospel of John. A very remarkable story that you can read the entirety of, beginning at verse 1 of chapter 4. But we're just going to be looking at a few verses at the tail end of the story. Jesus was heading home in the region of Galilee, and he had decided to travel through Samaria. And that was pretty uncustomary for a Jew of that day. Normally, they would have skirted around Samaria. They would have avoided it. They certainly wouldn't have lingered for any length of time, and they would not have talked with the people there. And so Jesus decides to travel through Samaria. It was noon. It was hot. If you've ever been in a holy land, noontime can be just a parched, dry heat that just saps you. And Jesus stops at the well, kind of the equivalent of Starbucks today. And he stopped there, just outside Sychar, to get a drink. And he was met by a lone individual who was also there to get her latte. There's a long list of reasons why Jesus should not have had this encounter, a couple of which I've alluded to. But this particular person, first of all, was a woman. And for a Jewish rabbi of that day, it was improper to speak to a woman in public. But secondly, it was a Samaritan woman. The Samaritans and the Jews hadn't gotten along for centuries. They were enemies of each other. Samaritans were considered unclean to the Jews. And thirdly, this was an immoral Samaritan woman that he had encountered. And that's just a few of the reasons why he should probably not have conversed with her that day. But instead, Jesus said, how about a latte? How about a drink? And she was amazed. And I can only imagine her amazement. Probably amazed that anybody would talk to her. That might have been why she was going to the well in the heat of the day, was just to have a little bit of privacy from the taunts that might have been going on. But Jesus spoke to her. And they talked. And they talked deeply. And they talked richly and earnestly with one another. They talked about religion and faith. They talked about her lifestyle. Jesus seemed to know all about it. And they talked about her desire to have something more, something deeper, something more real in her life. And 
verse 26 of chapter 4, we read, Jesus basically saying, I am the Messiah. I am the anointed, the appointed, the one to come. I am that one. I am God's messenger. In fact, I am God's message. I am the word sent that you will know that God loves you and cares for you. This woman is so excited by this good news. She leaves her water jug there and she runs back to the town to tell everybody, to tell everybody about this encounter she has had with the living Messiah. If I had not seen it with my own eyes, I would not have believed it. A few years back, you may recall the story of an airplane. And this airplane had come in for a a landing in an airport uh, just north of Red Lake. And as it came, there was a downdraft or some sort of a wind current that actually flipped this plane over, lost control, and it came down on some power wires and ended up hanging its wheel on one of those lines just hanging there in midair. Both the plane and the pilot were eventually rescued about four hours later. The pilot hanging that whole time in his harness upside down You know, I can imagine that that pilot probably didn't move very much. I sure wouldn't have moved very much. Amazing. Now, the first reports that were coming in were I heard on the radio. And they sound, well, just kind of too fantastic, too unbelievable. I I wondered if there was some embellishing. But then on the 6 o'clock news, I caught the video on TV, and, and there it was. It really had happened. And he really was hanging there for a long time by that one wheel of that plane and a power line for an hour. I saw it. I believed it. Isn't it Missouri slogan that says, uh, it's a show me state, I think. Anybody from Missouri here? And the rest of you won't admit it? Okay. Um, Show me state. They kind of pride themselves in being a little skeptical about things. They don't want to get taken in, so their motto is, don't just talk about it, prove it, show it. But then, aren't we all kind of a little bit skeptical? We kind of look at things and kind of, hmm, I don't know. You know, we live in a day where there's so many con artists. We live in a day when there's so many special effects that make it look like it's really happening. So many charlatans out there trying to take advantage of us. I think we've all become kind of show-me-prove-it people. When I see it, then I will believe it. Now, I'm not anti-rational. I've done a lot of higher education, and, and I love the sciences, and I believe that all truth is God's truth, no matter whose lips it comes from. And I marvel at the advances that science is making, and I love talking with my science teacher's son, Doug, teaches high school science. But I need to tell you this, that seeing is not always believing. It is only when you believe that you begin to see what you never would have seen otherwise. It is only when you stop being merely an observer, merely a spectator, merely a seer, to begin to be a participant, a believer, And suddenly, you discover aspects of life 
could never have known existed. Do you believe that? Let me give you an illustration. When I first married my wife, I never thought that I could possibly love her any more than I did on that wedding day in high school. I didn't. And I can recall some of the old fogies that are in their late 30s and 40s uh, talking about how they had grown so much more in love over the years. And I says, yeah, right. Sure, I love her as much as I could possibly love her. I do, I do. Well, two things happened over time. The first one is that I now was one of those old-timers. The second thing is that everything they said was true, that my love deepened and grew more than I could have ever imagined. Or another illustration. I recall the first time I had a chance to sing The Messiah. It's a beautiful piece of music. How many of you have sung The Messiah? Oh, a bunch of you. Fantastic. Well, I had never done it. I was 40 years old, just about, and uh, I was leading Kalamazoo Michigan, and in, I was invited to be part of a community choir. And I can remember that we sang those great strains of that classic piece, that majestic piece, believing the truth. Every valley shall be exalted, shall be exalted. It's just such a powerful, powerful piece. And when you're in the middle of that choir with the Kalamazoo Symphony backing us up, it was a powerful moment. Wow. And it's only when I entered into that experience, suddenly I saw what it was really all about. Folks, that's what's happened to this woman in our story today. When she went back into her village to tell all the people what she had observed and experienced all about this Jesus that she had met by the well. They listened, and then they believed. They could see that there was something in her. It was a fire in her heart. There was a glint in her eyes. They could see that something was going on there. And it says they believed. In fact, they were so intrigued that they then wanted to go and to be with Jesus and invited him to come and stay with them in the town for a while, something a Jew wouldn't normally do, but he stayed for two days and was in their midst. Samaritans asking a Jew to stay with them for two days. And even no matter how far out of sorts you may feel with God, how much you may have think you've blown it or he doesn't care about you anymore or maybe he's written you off long ago, here to tell you that Jesus is ready to stay with you. Wow, that's a great story. Yeah, be a part of my life. And in verse 42, it gives witness that we believe because of your witness. But now we believe because we have been with him. It gave Jesus a shot of hearing. We know that this man challenge each one of you to do the same thing today. I want to challenge you to give Jesus a shot, a fair shot, to be a part of your life, to help you live more fulfilled than you thought was possible. One of the mysteries of faith is that you can only go so far as a spectator. 
You can only go so far as an observer looking from the outside. I mean, you can read the Bible. Many people have read it as literature. You can read books about God and come to understand a little bit more about who this God might be. Or you can even go to church. You can debate it and discuss it. But there reaches a point that if you're going to discover the wonderful life of a follower of Christ, you have to start following Believing is doing. You must discover what you are missing. There was an article in a newspaper that was kind of looking at the sociology of the United States uh, culture that we live in. And in that article, it said, the headline was kind of, Millions feel they are missing something. Kind of that plight, that predicament of humanity. That we're missing out on something. And in there was a story of a 45-year-old man who said this, and I quote, Here I am. My life isn't going anyplace. I have a cottage in the Hamptons, a yacht in Florida, a fancy car, but my life is empty. How has he found a solution to his emptiness? It said a little later in the article that he has gone back to God. He's gone back to God. Success wasn't the answer. Wealth wasn't the answer. Boats and homes, that wasn't the answer. So he became a believer, and he was seeing life clearly for the first time. Millions are sensing that there is more to life. More to life than what we can see, what we can buy, what we can have and possess, what we can indulge in. There's something so much deeper. And I'm glad that you're here today to experience the living Christ A few women were expecting one thing when they got to this tomb, and they got something entirely different. They were going to put the finishing touches on a dead man, but found that he was no longer dead, but in fact he was alive. I know of the empty tomb. I've had to share with you so many times how empty my existence has been. And I don't know why you came or what you expected this morning, but maybe today is your day to discover Christ in a new way. To fill that that emptiness, that desire, that longing that you have for something more. Let's pray. Risen Christ, we praise you that you are the giver of life. You are the forgiver of sin, that there's nothing so big that we have ever done but what you say, I am. Help us to believe. And now bless our offerings so that many others will hear your good news and then prepare us to celebrate at your table. In Jesus' name we pray.